All right. If you guys were here last week, we talked about um, storing up treasures in heaven. And you guys preached half the sermon for me, which was pretty cool. I might have to do that more often. Um, <clears throat> but as I said last week, the, uh, there's lots of different styles of teaching and preaching. And mine usually comes from, uh, I guess, my history and my personality of asking a lot of why questions. <clears throat> so if, if you're used to hearing, um, or if you're visiting and you're used to hearing a little more uh, practical lessons. I don't usually teach in that way. I do occasionally, and there may be some in here. But for the most part, I try to I try to go a little bit deeper and see exactly why we do what we do, um, instead of just talking about how in the in the process of how we do it. Um, there are good practical applications that we can we can apply to our lives. Um, but something my pastor taught me, and something I'd heard um, that stuck with me was that I've heard lots of pastors give good advice, but not many give good news. And so I want to, at the end of of today, hopefully give you some good news. Um, because I think that's the most important thing because it's from that place that we live our lives. The foundation we were singing about is in Christ and is in Jesus, and it's all about him. And so that's the good news. So if you leave here with nothing else, <laughs> you've already got the good news, and it's all in Christ. So it's all about Jesus. And what, <clears throat> what I found, uh, I think what got me to that place was growing up in a, uh, what I considered normal but was not normal by most standards because it was pretty messed up childhood, is, is learning how... Uh, how life worked and how what I could get away with, what I couldn't get away with. And there wasn't, I didn't have a lot of structured teaching on what right and wrong was. I had more of what I could get away with. I don't know if anybody ever had that experience. Um, my parents were pretty much, um, let me do pretty much whatever I wanted. I, was, <clears throat> I wasn't necessarily a bad kid all the time. <laughs> but there were times, but I, would, I, knew, I knew what I could get away with and what I couldn't get away with. Does that make sense? I didn't. I didn't structure my life on what right and wrong was. I structured my life on what I could get away with and not get in trouble by. And so I carried that on when I got saved. I kind of carried that on with me through, through my early Christian life when I first started going to church was I need to do good, but I just don't need to, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. I felt like God was the same way in some of the adults that I saw in that they were just waiting for me to mess up so they could get angry with me. And, and it took me years to figure out what a good father was like because I didn't really have one growing up. So I kind of carried some of that on, and I had to, had to unlearn some of that stuff through, through the Holy Spirit leading me and, and understanding God's Word a lot clearer through the, the meta-narrative or the big picture of Scripture. Now, um, many times I get into to good talks and testimonies and also some debates with other pastors and other friends and other Christians, and I, what I get accused of a lot is, when, especially when we get into debates, is I always come back to, some of them will say, I just come back to salvation, but I don't. I just come back to Christ. And... And I always, I don't know what else to come back to. <laughs> I think, well, where else are we going to go? And, and no, but I'm serious. And, and they'll say, well, well, can't we learn something from this, this specific scripture by itself? Well, yeah, we can. But it, it's all, sub, yeah, but why? It's all subject to the, yeah, it's all subject to the greater truth, which is Christ, is faith in Christ. And so um, even as Ch- uh, Charles and I were talking this morning, he came up and he was hearing the same thing with the Holy Spirit that I was. And I was, and, and we've always heard, you know, you've, you've, we, like we struggle with sin, we struggle with sin, we struggle with sin. No, we struggle with unbelief. We struggle with sin. If you're born again, sin is no longer something you struggle with. You may struggle with, with faith in Christ that he's already taken care of it. We don't struggle with sin anymore. Sin's been dealt with. And so it's a, it's a bit of a paradigm. It's, a, um, it's just a shift. It's a perspective change for us, for me specifically too, where I've got to look at everything differently now. Not just, 
Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights are not just um, Bible studies or, or times when I feel like I'm more focused on God, but everything in my life now changes because my, my sight changes, my mind changes. That's why the Bible talks about us renewing our mind. And so when, when, when we start looking at that, as we talked about last week in storing up treasures, well, if we're storing up jewels and crowns in heaven, then that's selfish ambition, and I don't think that's what the Scripture talks about. I think the jewels that we're storing up are the relationships that either we, we have that will carry on or the relationships that we've restored with, with God through, through witnessing and loving people and showing them the love of God. And so there's, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So I believe those are the jewels that we'll carry on through eternity because we're not going to carry anything with us. Our bodies don't even make it, right? We get new bodies when we, when we, when we leave this life. So <clears throat> try, to, try to get through. I'm not going to go through all of last week's just to get here. But what kind of springboarded me here was kind of discovering who we truly are. Um, we talk about identity a lot in here, and so I, I kind of titled this, Who Am I? And I didn't have time to throw up a, a clip from Zoolander. <laughs> but there's a, there's a part in Zoolander when he walks out to the water and he looks at himself in the reflection. He goes, Who am I? And his reflection looks back at him and goes, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that, that cracked me up when I saw it. It was just one of the funniest scenes. And I rewound it like five times in my office this morning and laughed every time. I don't know. I don't know who you are. Um, but, but many of us struggle, I think, struggle with that through life as we're either told by adults when we were younger, we're told by the church when we, when we go through church, or who we truly are. And, you know, are we sinners saved by grace? Are we saints? Or, you know, we, we don't know who we are. And uh, many of the, the churches that I visited after I got saved were a bit schizophrenic in their theology, and, and I was always confused about who I was. Am I this? Am I that? Am I this this day, in this moment? You know, at what point do I change, and is it, what is it based on? And so what I've discovered over the years is that I've taken all that and I put it on Christ. <laughs> and I go, okay, now from this place, I can discover who I am. It's like I took a deep breath and went, <sighs> okay, everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> it's okay. <laughs> we can settle down. We're not schizophrenic Christians. We can, be, we can be settled. We can be at peace. The Holy Spirit brings us a peace, a rest. It says his, his burden is easy. His, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And so what we do is we rest in the truth of knowing who we are in Christ. Now, when you do that, when you, when you absolutely have trust and faith in that, then from that place that is in our hearts that we talked about before worship, then from that place we begin to live out our lives. Not towards it, but from it. Now, the reason that's so important is because all of your circumstances aren't necessarily going to change when this happens. Let me say that again. <laughs> your, your life, everything that surrounds you in your life may not change immediately. Probably won't, not everything at least. And that can be discouraging because we are people who see and feel and, and, and function in this realm, on this earth. The reason why we have to have faith in Christ is because it takes zero faith to live by law and rules and regulations because they're pretty cut and dry. But when we live by a relationship with Jesus and we live by a relationship, now everything um, begins to shift, like I was saying. All of my decisions now change. And if I let love lead, if I build my foundation on that love that Christ has given us, now the decisions I make aren't just based on do this, don't do that. It's based on who am I dealing with, right? What are they going through? Because I, I genuinely care for this person, right? Not I need to tell them the truth even if it hurts them. Now I go, okay, how can I tell them the truth, the real truth about who they are? Listen, I've been told the truth hurts for years, and sometimes it does. I'm not saying it doesn't sometimes. But the truth doesn't always hurt. We always default to the negative. The truth can be good. The truth about you is that you're righteous. The truth about you is that you, if you're born again, you're restored to, the, to a relationship with the Father. That's the truth about you. And the truth sets you free. 
And freedom to uh, the legalist is very scary. Tr uh, uh, truth and freedom to someone who seeks to control you is a very scary thing. I have no intentions on controlling anybody in here. I have no intentions on brainwashing you into thinking the way that I think or believing in uh, a religious system or a theology that I believe in. All I seek to do is speak truth, and hopefully the Holy Spirit and you will resonate in that and will receive it. That's, that's all we do here. From this place is where you actually live your Christian life, which is outside those doors. That's the truth. The truth is when you run into somebody that needs something, you don't say, well, I gave my 10% here. I'm not going to help you. That's why we don't, we don't preach the tithe in the new covenant. It's from the Holy Spirit. You give what the Holy Spirit leads you to give. If you want to give 10%, that's fine. If it's good for you to do that. But when you leave this place, I hope you bless people when you leave this place and you don't leave it all here and think that you've done your due diligence by giving to us. We're, most of you know we're not a denomination. We're not supported by anybody else. When we first, when Trace and I first uh, became pastors here, we decided early on that we were just we going to let the Holy Spirit lead to give, and, and it's done well. You guys know the needs we have. We like air conditioning. You know what I mean? We like the lights being on. It's not a complicated system. You know what I mean? This, I, I, have, I, have no, I have no big plan to grow our church with people. I just want to grow us individually as believers and knowing who we are and reach people for the Lord. That's it. I've, I've completely, simpli hopefully simplified this whole thing. My mic's not far enough up. I'm getting, I'm getting this. Pick your mic up. Is that better? <clears throat> All right. Maybe I'll get to my sermon now. That was a bit of a, a prequel. All right, identity. Who am I? Um, what I want to encourage you to do in your Bible, <clears throat> I don't know if your Bible has headings. Does your Bible have headings above? That it breaks each book down into, obviously, scriptures, but also breaks them down into specific stories. If you get time, scratch all those out. <laughs> Every heading in your Bible. Listen, I thought about this this morning when I was studying, and I was, I was like, this is so wrong. Half, if not all, focus on either other things or focus on us more, and don't focus on Christ. Every one of them, scratch them out and go put, it's all about Jesus next to it. Every one of them. I'm Old, Old Testament, New Testament, put it's all about Jesus, and I guarantee it will give you some perspective on what you're reading. Because what we can do is we can take bits and pieces and we can begin to build our theology around those bits and pieces because we can put them in a place that help us. I've told a story too about the, the guy that drove through a, a town and saw a bunch of bullseyes. He was an archer. Saw a bunch of bullseyes on a barn with arrows right in the middle of them and stopped and knocked on the farmer's door and said, hey, I'd like to meet the, whoever the archer is that shot all these bullseyes. He's incredible. And they argue back and forth. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But there's a buildup. It might make it funnier, but I don't care. <laughs> so there's a, they go back and forth. He's like, oh, you don't want to meet him. Yes, I do. You don't want to meet him. Yes, I do. Finally, the guy's like, no, you don't. He's a village idiot. He paints. He shoots arrows into my barns and paints bullseyes around them. <laughs> and so that's what we do when we build a theology on what we think the scripture should be like instead of focusing all on Christ. It's all about him. So every, every heading, put it's all about Jesus, and it'll put it in its proper perspective and, and show you the, the, the meta-narrative, the grand story of the Bible. So when I get, when I get accused of that, well, <clears throat> you can't just do that. Well, yeah, you can. <laughs> because if you don't look at the big picture, then it, it, it changes your perspective about it because then you can slowly veer off, and that's how I think a lot of the denominational barriers have started, the divisions in the church, because there's no denominations in heaven. There's no race in heaven. There's no, there's no division in heaven. <clears throat> When we all focus on Jesus, we're in unity. It doesn't mean we all agree. Can we, can we get on the same page there? Let me tell you this. If you don't agree with me even today, I hope that you don't hate me because disagreement does not mean hatred. We could tell social media that. Everybody would listen. Don't unfriend me. <laughs> I 
or you can if you want to, I guess. All right. I have no control over it. You can unfollow me. All right. <clears throat> won't hurt my feelings. Um, all right. I've scratched out the header on here, too. Luke, we're going to start in Luke 5 to 17. I'm, right here will be NIV. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the message if I get to that point, because there's another uh, scripture that I really like, the way Eugene Peterson put it out. But I cut my teeth on NIVs after I got saved, so that's kind of what I'm default to. But you can read from whatever you want. Luke 5.17 says, One day Jesus was teaching. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village uh, of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and, uh, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. They went up on the roof, lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know, think about this for a minute and save that, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Many of you have heard this story, right? <clears throat> I've heard it preached many different ways, most of which was how great the faith was of the friends that brought him, and more of a, you need to get your friends to church, tear, the, tear a hole in the roof and get them in here. <laughs> Poor heading there too, scratch that heading out. Remember, it's all about Jesus here. Think about what's happening. Think about the key verse in the middle when he says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth. This was a bit of a divine setup. I don't know who fixed the roof. Where's, I don't think Robert's out today. He's probably his great, 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 great grandfather. But they left a hole in the roof. I don't know who fixed it. Um, so let's back up a little bit. These guys can't get through the crowd. They get up on the roof. They tear a hole, take off all the tiles, drop him down so that he can get healed. This guy wants to be healed, obviously. He, he's paralyzed, and I can't imagine the type of life he lives because I've never been paralyzed. But it's probably been a struggle, to say the least, um, that he's paralyzed. And, and so that, I believe that's what he's coming for. It says in the preceding verses that, that God was going around he, or Jesus was going around healing people, um, and he had the power to heal people, obviously. So this guy goes in to be healed, <clears throat> and Jesus' response to that is what? Does he say, be healed? No. He says, your sins are forgiven. Why? Why would he say that? This is an important part here. That's what he was dealing with. Here's the thing. If we don't look at everything in its, in its, in its proper perspective um, from, from a place of identity, this guy should not have been crippled. In heaven, he's not crippled, right? We talk about every prayer we pray, we talked about this last week, is... Lord, let your will be done on heaven, in, on earth as it is in heaven. Every prayer you pray should, if not already, look like that. Lord, let your will be done, Lord, um, on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of heaven, when applied to our lives, radically changes everything. The greater miracle is that his sins were forgiven. Did he, did he heal him of his sickness? He did. He healed him of being paralyzed. But he wanted to get to the heart of the issue, Right? Listen, healing is a byproduct of the kingdom crashing into earth. Your sins are forgiven, and that's the, greater, the greatest miracle is that you now have eternal life. 
right? You were born physically at some point. The greatest miracle is that now you have eternal life. By definition, you have no beginning and no end. That's a miracle in and of itself. Now you have no beginning and no end. Now when you die, you pass on to, to go into eternity with Christ forever. This is the truth. <laughs> the truth that will set you free, that's the truth. Because why is that so important? Because now everything we see on this earth, it puts it into perspective. I don't have to hang on to these things, and, and they, don't, they don't tell me who I am, and they don't give me validation, right? Now I know who I am. I have confidence in who I am. And when, when I go into a room, I'm not seeking to take from people in relationships. I'm seeking to give them because now I have something to offer. Do you see how that works? Now this great miracle that's happened inside of me renews my mind to, to where my actions shift. And it's not always uncomfortable. <laughs> you don't have to make people feel uncomfortable in Walmart all the time. If the, if the Holy Spirit leads you to, that's fine, but that's not every time. Most of the time that I've found when the Holy Spirit leads me to do something, it's within, it's within the context of relationship when I've been getting to know people, just like Jesus did, goes to parties with sinners, hangs out with, with people in, in the synagogues. Regardless of the situation or the place, when, when someone comes to a place where they need the Lord and you're there, then that's the time when you have to offer it and you throw those seeds out. And Scripture is really clear that it's not even up to us to make them grow. He makes them grow. It takes a lot of pressure off of us, right? I, I continually say this in my broken record speech, is grace gives you tons of free time because now you're not trying to gain something that you already have. If you, if you, you have to have a million bucks to give away a million bucks, you have to know that you carry the Holy Spirit with you to share the truth of what's going on in, in, in the Spirit with other people. So if healing's a byproduct of that, I've seen healing, we've seen it. We've seen radical healing. But the greater miracle is that those people have eternal life. Right? Because how many times can people get healed over and over again, but they're eventually going to physically die, right? So we have to look past that. It doesn't mean that we ignore it. Listen, pray for me to be healed. <laughs> Please. I'm, I've been having gallbladder issues. I felt like somebody was stabbing me in the chest yesterday. I, I need healing. I'm completely fine with being healed. But the greater miracle is that that pain doesn't define who I am and doesn't change my perspective on who God sees me or how he sees me. There are questions that we ask that we can't, we don't always have the answers to, especially within our circumstances, whether it's financial, relational, um, friends, family. There are things that we want to see happen that may not happen right in front of us, but we have a faith that goes beyond what we can see and feel, right? This is where our faith lies. This is why he says he saw that they had great faith you saw they had great faith, not just for healing, but they were willing just to, to bring people to Jesus. So, well, you always go back to Jesus. Why? Where else are we going to go? <laughs> if I lead people just to me, I'm going to fail them eventually. I mean, as much as I don't want to, I'll mess up. I'll get frustrated. We had, the, like I told you on the river day, I got frustrated that morning. Somebody was joking with me this morning, like, you get frustrated? I was like, yeah, I get frustrated. The dogs got out. The, uh, our air condition broke. Yeah, it was like one thing after another, I back... Frustrate, I was frustrated. I backed into a tree with my new company truck, busted the taillight in it. I was like, I almost tore the transmission up, throwing it in gear. I, like, I, I got to take a break from this morning. Nobody had even showed up yet. <laughs> like, I need a break. I need a break from this morning. But, like I told you, by the end of the day, the thing that I took away from that day were all those kids and the smiling faces, and we were pulling them on those tubes that some of them had never experienced that kind of fun and, and joy. And that's, that's a jewel. That's incredible. That's something that. You can't take away. Nobody can take that from you, right? This truth that, that we are righteous, that we, we do have joy, that we do, that, we do have, that, that we do have a love beyond fully understanding even in our minds that, that Christ could love us in the midst, even in the midst of our sins. So this guy needed much more than just healing, right? The greater picture here is that 
He needed to see Jesus, and he needed to be forgiven of his sins. And everyone else needed to see it. This is one of the many times where he says there's a large crowd around him of, of a real diverse crowd. And he said, I need you to see this. I need you to see that I have authority to forgive sins. I need you to see it. Because nobody had seen that before. They had a sacrificial system that was coming to an end. And he needed them to see that there was a new sacrificial system coming that was barely a system. It was one time for all. And he needed them to see that he was the one that was going to take away the sins of the earth once and for all. And so he said, I need you all to see this. (laughs) Now, a natural byproduct of that is healing. But I need you to see that I can forgive sins. Listen, it's it's a very radical thing for us to see that God can dwell with man. It says that we are the temples. Now our bodies are the temples. We're walking around temples carrying the Holy Spirit. We're, we're clay jars. We're fragile in our bodies, but there's an eternal spirit that goes with us everywhere we go, and it should shift and change the way that we do everything. So that was the greater truth there. It's all about Jesus. Jesus demonstrated kingdom life everywhere he went. Everything he did was on earth as it is in heaven. He demonstrated heaven on earth in, every, in little pockets everywhere he went. He would, he would forgive sins, heal people, and take care of people's physical needs and their spiritual needs everywhere he went. It was, it was just a, a natural byproduct of him having a relationship with the Father. He said, listen, I only do what the Father tells me to do. He said, well, why don't you do this? I'm just doing what he tells me to do. Well, what about this? Well, those are your traditions. <laughs> I do what my dad tells me to do. Very simply, this, this Christian life is not as complicated as we've, as we've made it. I always say Jesus simplified a complicated message, and we try to complicate a simple message. <laughs> Please don't do that. So what does eternal life on earth look like? It's truth. It's not lies. We, we know that Satan is the accuser. The Holy Spirit is not the accuser. The, the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness. He leads us. He's not just slapping us around all the time. I'm going to go to Luke, and this is, uh, this is a, a bit of a, a view of, of what this kingdom life looks like. Um, and this is the results, but it talks about the cause as well, and we'll get into that in a minute. And I like the message version here, so I apologize if you don't have that version. If you have it digitally, you can flip over to it. I just like the way Eugene Peterson puts it here. He's very colorful, and he, he pulls a lot of words from the Greek that are really hard to translate in our modern-day language. Um, and I like the way he puts a few things in here, so I liked it from here. Um, so Luke six twenty seven says, To you who are ready for the truth, <laughs> I say this, love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make it a present and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. Listen, we've talked about unconditional love here. He's showing you the the opposite. Not I do for you, you do for me. We're talking about you just do for other people because your source is Christ now. That reminds me of yesterday when I was driving down the interstate. There was this guy, and he totally came over on me. Like if I wouldn't have went into the emergency lane, I mean, he would have creamed us. So I get on the other side, and I'm like, he's like, <laughs> just I'm waving, and I'm like, Was he in a- me over. And he's like, hey, and Madeline starts waving his mouth. <laughs> before you know it, I was like, okay. <laughs> you know? And I mean, I just couldn't be mad at him because of the joke. You know what I mean? I was, really, I was like, 
really wanted to tell him off. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't a silver Silverado, was he? Rainbows and sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A big truck, you know. But I mean, it was it just got me how you know, like I really wanted to be mad at him, but I couldn't. <laughs> He's too happy. He was, <laughs> he was too happy. His joy was rubbing off on me. No, I don't want to be happy right now. <laughs> so there's a there's a <clears throat> there's a reality. Hopefully that guy apparently was living in that. Whatever you know, I, I'm I can love beyond my own ability to love because I have a different type of love. Verse thirty one says, "Here's a simple rule of thumb for behavior: ask yourself what what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run of the mill sinners do that." If you only help those that help you, do you expect a medal? Garden variety sinners do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. Wait a minute. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? Listen, I've heard sermons preached on reaping and sowing this way. That's not, I don't want to go, I don't want to chase that rabbit too far, but I'll teach on sowing and reaping later. That's not what he's talking about. Listen, you don't, you don't give so that you can get. That's not how it works. You give because God created you as a giver because that's who he is. So we talk about offerings. We do the same thing with money, with anything. You give freely because it makes you a better person because that's who you are. You don't give it so you can get something back. Okay, I don't want to get into that. All right. So it says the stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. Verse 35, I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. Listen, that is the most freeing thing you may hear today. If you, if you see somebody in need and, and you, f- you feel prompted to help them, help them, but don't expect anything. Even if they say they're going to pay you back, don't expect it. it. It will help your relationships with friends and family. I promise you. Help and give without expecting return. You'll never, I promise, you'll never regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us generously and graciously. Even when we're at our worst, our Father is kind. You be kind. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. (laughs) Be easy on people. You'll find life a lot easier. Give away your life, and you'll find life given back. But not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. He quoted a proverb, can a blind man guide a blind man? Wouldn't they both end up in the ditch? An apprentice doesn't lecture the master. The point is to be careful who you follow as a teacher. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do not have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you you when your own face is distorted by contempt. It's this I-know-better-than-you mentality again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your own part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. You don't get wormy apples off a healthy tree, nor good apples off a diseased tree. <clears throat> off a diseased, diseased tree. The health of the apple tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life-giving lives. It's who you are not what you say and do that counts. Your true being, listen to this, your true being brims over into true words and deeds. Both, not either or, both, words and deeds. 
Why are you so polite with me saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing, the, doing a thing I tell you? These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. You see where he's getting? He's getting to the heart here. He's saying it's not what you do and say, but it's who you are that defines you. Because who you are will result in what you do and say. We can all be fake. Can we be, can we be real here? <laughs> we, cannot, we can all put on a mask if we want to. We can all be fake. <clears throat> we can all do good deeds expecting things in return. We can all put on a pretty face when we're really struggling with something. We can all be fake in, in one way or another. The issue isn't our behavior. The issue is our heart. He speaks several times, and I'm not going to go through every single one, but he speaks several times of that's who you are. This is the truth about you. This is who you are. This is the truth. Why does he say that over and over again? Because we need to understand that we're not fighting against ourselves anymore. If you're fighting against yourself, you're going to live a very frustrated life. If you're constantly thinking that it's you that you're struggling with when it's actually lies of the enemy and accuse, accusing you of an old life that you've already passed, that's passed away already. It was crucified with Christ already. Christ cannot be crucified anymore. So if you've accepted that, your old life is dead. The only thing that can be tempting you is, is lies from the enemy about a life that you don't even live anymore. That should change everything about how you live and how you react to temptation, to uh, how you relate to the Holy Spirit, how you relate to God's word. It should shift everything that you do. Because now you're not in this, this constant battle of which dog do I feed? Or this little devil on this shoulder and this little angel on this shoulder. We've got cartoon Christianity <laughs> because we, we live this, uh, I don't know what to call it, this cookie cutter religious lifestyle that, that is so easy to fake. I mean, any of us could do it. Listen, I, I want the same thing I feel like the Lord wants is I, I want to see what's going on in the heart. We can, trim, we can trim weeds all day long, but until you pull it up by the root, we're all wasting our times here. If you can't come in this place and fall apart and receive healing, where else are you going to come and fall apart? If you can't come in this place and worship and, and love the Lord, where else are we going to worship? If you can't, if you can't realize that, that you don't check the Holy Spirit at the door when you leave this place, <clears throat> then you've, you've, you've put your faith in a metal building in Westmobile and a worship team that's, that can really play well, <laughs> and a pastor who's not the greatest pastor. <laughs> Don't put your faith in the things that you see. Put your faith in the things that are unseen, because the unseen is much greater than the seen. Listen, the truth and the reality about the kingdom of heaven is much greater than what you can see and feel. It's much, much greater than, uh, and I don't want to get into details about it. It's much greater than anything that you could uh, attain. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to go too deep into that because I do want to finally get to the end. I'm doing good on time, actually. I've got one more page. <clears throat> so we don't live a life just of, of rules. We live a life based on relationship now. I said earlier that love is the great governor for the Christian now, and it's been placed that way on purpose. Many of you have heard me say so many times I grew up thinking that the heart is the, uh, the emotions of a person and the brain is the, the uh, logic that they're always battling each other. It's almost a similar battle that we thought we were fighting with sin in our old selves. When, when the Bible constantly talks about the heart being the source, being who we are, who we truly are, and our mind being renewed, it never says renew your heart. It says renew your mind. And so as I've discovered this especially, we, in our Western theology, we don't look at the heart that way, but the heart has some like 40,000 neurons. It has its own brain. 
it can function on its own without your brain. That's how people can be brain dead. So when uh, the, that's the physical aspect of it. They even discovered that the brain communicates with the, I mean, the heart communicates with the brain more than the brain communicates with the heart. Like the heart will tell the brain, the heart will begin to beat faster before the brain can recognize that there's a danger. So the heart has its own firing system, its own intelligence. So on a spiritual level, we see it makes sense now that the scripture says he's come to live in our hearts. He's, this truth, this kingdom is in our hearts. So now we live from this place and we're not scared to see or hear anything. We're not running around like, like, uh, like we're afraid anymore. Now we have something to offer. Now we have a truth that's inside of us that renews our mind every day to the way that we should live. So it's an outward living, not an inward. Does that make sense? So this heart that we carry, it's not of just do this and don't do that. I could teach you logic all day long. Don't rob a bank, you'll go to jail. You know, don't cheat your wife, she'll probably kill you. I mean, there's, there's lots of things I could teach you that are real basic things, right? You know, don't stick your hand on the pot. If it's hot, you stick your hand on the pot. You'll learn one way or another. We, we will all learn things in this life, and it's good for us in relationship to teach those things, but there's a greater truth that we need to know, and it's who you are. It's identity. Listen, the guy that got that lower down in there, he realized who he truly was. He met his creator face to face. This is what we do when we reach salvation. We meet our creator, and, he, and we go, we're, we're not good. We're not, we're not worthy. <laughs> we're not good enough. Sorry, I watched too many movies. <laughs> we're not worthy. Was it Wayne's World? We're not worthy. <laughs> I digress. Bill and Ted. No, it was no, Wayne's World. I don't know. They were time traveling. That's all I remember. Uh, that was from Wayne's World, though. Anyway, <laughs> doesn't matter. When we come to face to face, when we come face to face with the Lord, we go, we're not worthy. We're, we're you know, you, we're not good enough. He goes, I know. <laughs> this, is, this is why I had to come, and I took care of the part where you're not worthy, and now you are. <laughs> because of Jesus, you are now worthy. Now you can, you can approach the throne boldly. Why? Because we're now righteous in Christ. Do you see the difference? Not, and this is, this is something that people get real, and, and even me, that's, that's, a, that's scary to think about that. I can boldly approach, I can stand up and come to see God. man. Only because of what Christ did can we do that. But when we accept that now, that gives us a boldness on this earth that we can do things that we couldn't do before. Things that you, I mean, it gives us an identity to where we can take that deep breath and go, okay, I am loved, I am a son. We are heirs and co-heirs with Christ now. We can take a deep breath and go, okay, now we can relax. It gives me opportunities now when I can speak to people that I was scared to speak to before because I was scared their sin was going to jump on me. Like, like Christ is intimidated by sin. He says, you go join yourself to a harlot. Guess who's going with you? Me. <laughs> oh, man. He's not leaping in and out of your body. He's with you. And he's saying, this is not who you are. He's not saying, don't do that. He's saying, this is not who you are. I've created you to be more than this. And what I have for you is better than this. And so when we, th- we think, we believe a lie that says, no, I need to get this on my own. Our, our problem is not a sin problem. It's a trust problem. I don't trust that the Father has something better for me than what I can get for myself. It's a, sh- it's a real short, a short thinking, nearsightedness, not seeing the full picture, not gaining God's perspective on what, what real jewels are. Oh, what was, I just thought of a C.S. Lewis quote that I'll probably butcher. Something about playing around in sand. Does anybody remember it? Playing around in sand, we don't realize, I don't know. We'll look it up later. Look it up later. Something about playing around in mud and not real. yeah, playing around in mud, not realizing that how beautiful a sunset on the beach is, something to that effect. Talking about we will be consumed with what we think is good when great 
is so much greater that God has for us. We are consumed with, um, we're not consumed with, I don't want to say it that way. We can be tempted by lies that say that I've got distracted is a good, good word too. Yeah, the, and the thing is, the, the thing is, it's just, I've talked about fake fruit before. Sin is just like fake fruit. It looks good. It's shiny. You anticipate how juicy it's going to be when you bite into this apple and you bite in and it's like plastic. It's like poison. It makes you sick. It doesn't mean fruit's bad. It just means fake fruit's bad. The same way, you should, I, I hope that every one of you has a great loving relationship with your spouse. It's awesome. I'm not going to get into details there. I just hope you have a great one with your spouse. It's great. He, the reason God designed it that way, the same thing with every sin that we try to shortcut. God has something great for you that is fruit, that is good, that is joy in your lives now and that carries on into heaven. Most of it is relational, relational if not all. But when we shortcut that, we, we pick up fake fruit and we say, okay, this is what we really need when God says, I've got real fruit for you over here. I've got the reality of the kingdom of heaven is, is here. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right in front of you. It's within your midst. You can grab a hold of it. It's not a geographical location. I always point that way for some reason because I think heaven is way far away. That's what the, the, the church always told me when I was younger. You need to come to church so that you can get to heaven one day when you die. And I always thought, what do I do now? <laughs> I've got this whole life I've got to live and I've got nothing to do. When the scripture constantly tells me that Jesus came and he brought his kingdom with him. So he said, okay, now you have access to this kingdom even now. It will continue on when you die because you get a new body, but your spirit doesn't change. It just continues on. It doesn't say we get a new spirit. We just get a new body. We just change zip codes. So it's not just, and it, he, he, ah, I'm getting off topic. He constantly goes around explaining that it's not just a geographical location, that the kingdom of heaven is much more than that. Leave you, I'll leave you with that. All right. It's not a life of just rules and regulations. It was a life birthed from relationship with the Father. Matthew 15, 1. Uh, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus, Jesus replied, and why do you break the, <laughs> Jesus cracks me up, man. And why do you break the command of, <laughs> of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. <laughs> but you say, yeah, man, he wasn't playing around. But you say, if anyone <clears throat> declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to, devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he, when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. What was he saying there? It's a heart issue. It's not about traditions and rules and regulations. I didn't even know what mixed bathing was until Mark started talking about it. What is mixed bathing? Apparently it's when, when boys and girls swim together. I've talked to people who, who said that they can't have people on their, or pastors and, and their denomination says they can't have people serve or, or they, they can't be members of the church and they certainly can't serve within the church if they smoke cigarettes. And, and genuinely asked me if I thought that, that if someone smoked cigarettes and they died, if they went to hell. And I thought it was a joke at first. And I was like, no, you're serious. And I said, do you have members of your church that drink coffee? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I just want to be clear here. So we, we create these traditions. And I'm not saying we don't need, I mean, 
we have elders here. We have people that, that I talk to that give me advice, that, that we love each other and we, we want to make the best decisions for the church. But listen, we're, our, our, any tradition we have here is based on what we see Christ doing. Jesus is perfect theology. He always is. And so there are these things that we can break down into these, these rules and regulations, these traditions of people. And I don't know what flavor you come from, of, of denomination, different things like that. But if we don't get outside of ourselves and our own traditions and let love lead in everything that we do, we'll never get anywhere with growing the kingdom, I don't believe. There, there is, there's a truth about identity that surpasses any, any good or bad thing anyone could ever do. Why, how do I know that? Because Christ loved me and died for me in the midst of my sin. That's how I know that. I know that I was running in the opposite direction of him when he ran me down and said, no, I want you. I thought, no, you don't. You don't want me. And he said, no, I love you. And years of people telling me how bad I was never changed me. But the moment he said, I loved you, it changed me from the inside out. And my, my behavior followed that. It didn't precede it. Listen. And that didn't stop at salvation. And that's how I've been accused. Well, you keep talking about salvation. No, I'm not. You just think that God's grace stopped then and it didn't. God still leads me every day. Do I still make mistakes? Yes. But he shows me every day. Listen, this is what I have for you. This is better. This is who you are. This is who you are. And it's a continuing leading and a conviction from the Holy Spirit. Conviction just means a convincing. It's a conviction of righteousness. I don't need convincing to know how bad I am. I know how bad I was. I need convincing to know how righteous I am. And you do too. Because we fail at that. We fall apart. We mess up and we think, okay, it's all over, right? Just like that morning, I was like, everything's gone bad. Like my whole life has ended. Really? It was a fan in the, I got it fixed in the air condition. Truck's going to be fine. Dogs came back. (laughs) But in that moment, everything's over. My life is ending, (laughs) right? Do y'all ever have, just shoot me. I always call it the, uh, the shoestring breaking. It wasn't the shoestring. It was the 30 things before then that you've been, ah! just forget it. My life is over in the moment, right? We think that the same way with God. When we, when we lose it, we go, okay, I got to start all over again. Like all the chips have fallen. Everything's fallen. My whole house of cards has fallen. How do we know that's not true? He says right here, that's the, that's, this is the foundation that we build it on is on his love. What does love do? I don't want to get into all of it. How is love? Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. What does love do? Love says, no, I still love you. Don't do that. That was stupid. (laughs) Calm down. Your life's not over. You can pick up right where you left off. I'm right here with you. I didn't didn't leave and run to church, and you you got to drive to church and see if somebody unlocked the door so that you can meet me again. I'm I'm the Holy Spirit. I'm right here with you. Take a deep breath. (laughs) Chill out. It's going to be okay. Why? Because I'm with you. He says, "I'll I'll never leave you or forsake you. So you don't have to worry about what you see, what you do. Those are going to be natural byproducts of the tree that you are. It says rotten fruit doesn't come off good trees. Good fruit doesn't come off rotten trees. What is that telling us? You either are or you aren't. And if you are, let the fruit be produced. We say all the time, you can drive by an orchard and you never hear trees straining. Trees naturally, orange trees produce oranges and 
whatever other trees produce every other, whatever they produce, they just naturally produce those things. So all we need to do is realize who we are in Christ. And from that place, our behavior shifts. It's a hard issue. It's not a, it's not a wash your hands, bow your head. I pray before meals and everybody jokes around about how quick I pray. And it was years ago that really the Lord just revealed to me. He's not impressed with my long prayers. People are hungry. They need to eat. Bless the food and move on. And so that's all I do. I'm like, Lord, bless this food. Amen. We don't need to have a big spiel unless it's real specific. We need to pray for something. I don't need to impress. Am I trying to impress people because I can pray really long? They're not impressed. They're hungry. (laughs) Especially on the mission field, they're like, oh, grumble, grumble. (laughs) So (laughs) so from your heart, uh, from your heart will come the words and actions actions of restoration. From from your heart will come the things that, that God gives you. Listen, the accuser doesn't give you those things. What the accuser does, it tells you lies of who you aren't. It's a false identity. I'm sorry, that reminded me of Buddy. Like, just how kids teach you so simply, you know, and he would try to complicate it. Like, he, uh, I was not feeling good the other day. I have an abscess tooth. And he goes, well, Mama needs to take these tooth. And he goes, Jesus, help Mama's tooth go back. The end. I mean, amen. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Probably the best prayer could have been prayed over you. I'm serious. I remember the first time we took a youth trip, real quick. First time we took a youth trip, man, I was so nervous. And I'd been a youth pastor for a few years. And we were about to drive far away with a bunch of kids. And I was stressed out. I want to make sure all the kids had their luggage and everybody's on the bus. I'm thinking, I've got to count all these kids. I don't want to lose them at a gas station. I'm like, stressed out. And we're about to leave the parking lot. And then somebody's like, hey, you need to pray before we leave. And I was like, okay. And I had, you know, I was fine praying, but I mean, I was just stressed about everything else. And I prayed, I don't know, what, Lord, let us have a safe trip or whatever. And at the end of it, I was like, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody joked around about it for years. As somebody may, some people may be here and remember that, some of the youth. But, and I, and for, they would joke around all the time, and they would pray that way. They would pray, and they were like, that's all I got. Because <laughs> I didn't have anything else. I didn't, couldn't think of anything else to, to pray. So that's all I got. And then, Listen, that's how, we, that's how you should be talking to your father. Lord, you know, we honor the father in that way, but at the same time, he loves us. And it's like crawling up into your dad's lap and pulling on his beard and saying, hey, I need some bread. <laughs> I'm hungry, right? <laughs> or, hey, I'm really struggling with this. I got a headache. You know, this is, this is the way we approach a father. This is the radical shift from uh, he's not an evil dictator. He's not, he is a loving father. And now that I'm a father, I didn't, I didn't have that representation when I was younger and I stressed out about it when I had kids because I thought I'm not going to know how to be a father because I didn't have a good representation of it, but my heavenly father showed me how. And in reverse, my kids have shown me how he loves me because I love my kids, super, super love my kids. And now I'm like, oh, that's how you love me. Oh, they can come to me even when they look up uh, you're mean in Spanish to tell their sister. (laughs) Did I tell you all about that? (laughs) Anyway, One of, one, of my, one of my daughters came to me and said, one of them is learning Spanish. I was like, sweet, we're planning on going on a mission trip as a family. Tracy's been once. I've been once. We had to keep somebody here just, just to keep up with the kids. We're like, we want to go in the next year or so with our whole family. So Jordan really wanted to learn Spanish. She started learning Spanish. On, she got a little app on her phone. And then, one, and then Kylie came to me and was like, hey, I think Jordan's saying some bad words or something in Spanish. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> she was like, well, we were arguing, and she looked at her phone and said something to me, and I don't know what it was. <laughs> so I went back and looked at it, and it said like... Uh, <laughs> it said, you're mean, 
uh, you're stupid. <laughs> the other ones were good, like I love God, and I love my sister, and I love my family, and then you're mean, <laughs> and you're stupid. I was like, oh my gosh. So it was pretty hilarious. I was trying not to laugh. I was like, that's pretty funny. Don't do that. That's pretty funny. Anyway, but I, I loved her no less. You know what I mean? I showed her. I, I should, don't do that. That's mean. That's not why you got this app. You got this app for all the orphans in the world so that you can talk to them. So anyway, another movie quote. Hate all the orphans in the world. Um, anyway, stand up with me. We'll, we're going to pray. And I, I don't, I don't want to leave you with that. Nacho Libre. That was from Nacho Libre. <laughs> I'm thinking of another quote. But I do. All right. Father, I just thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for laughter, Lord. You, you obviously laugh because you gave me a sense of humor, and I'm created in your image. So I thank you for humor, Lord. I thank you for your laughter. I thank you for the peace that you give us in this place. Lord, I thank you that we don't, we don't hang you on a, on a coat rack when we leave, Lord, and you go with us. Lord, and you encourage us to love people the way that you love people. And Lord, you, you show us to see from a perspective outside of our own, Lord, that when people, when people hurt us, and people accuse us, and, and, and people are mean to us, Lord, that we don't return that um, from a place of lack, but from a place of fullness, because you fill all things in every way. So, Father, when people, when people attack us and slander us or, or mean to us, Lord, that we can love them because we're free to love them, because we're not bound to, to affirmation from people because we have all of our affirmation in you. Lord, our identity is caught up in you. Lord, we're like sweet tea. You can't tell us apart the sugar from the tea. We're all together now. And so, Father, just as, as you're just intertwining our DNA, Lord, you're in our hearts and you renew our minds every day. Lord, help us to, to, to have that renewal of our mind every day so that it, it, it is in line with our hearts. Lord, thank you that you have, you have written your law in our hearts and that we can see it and we let love lead in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.